0: beautiful humans, welcome to the Lotus Minded Podcast. My name is Reina and I am your host. I am a yoga and meditation teacher, holistic nutritionist, spiritual mentor, and writer. This podcast is a sacred channel to hold space for stories of strength and hope. Together, we will explore how incredible human beings have alchemized their pain into their purpose we will learn about the pathways that they took to turn their poison into medicine and how they share their unique forms of healing with the world today. This podcast is called Lotus Minded because lotus flowers, the most beautiful and radiant flowers, only blossom from dark and murky swamps. Authentic beauty only comes from moving through our pain and using it as fuel for deep healing, evolution, and service. We will showcase the various forms of spirituality, science, and psychology that humans have used for both personal and collective healing. We will demonstrate how to validate trauma without becoming a forever victim to it, and reveal steps that you can take to adopt a mindset of compassion, faith, and growth. In other words, steps that you can take to become lotus-minded. Press play and allow yourself to learn, unlearn, and expand. See you on the other side. Beautiful humans, welcome to this episode of Lotus Minded. So grateful that you are tuning in today. This is a very, very, very special episode. It is the first official interview style episode of the podcast. So I'm so grateful you're here. And let me tell you, this is a really special, beautiful episode. In this episode, I'm interviewing one of my best friends, my soul sister, Eden Garcia-Thaler, and she is going to expand your consciousness, I have no doubt, and really get into how to fully release the subconscious emotional patterns that you have been programmed to stay stuck in. But before we get into Eden and what we talk about in this episode, I wanted to try a new thing. Well, it's new because this is the beginning of the podcast journey, but we're at the beginning of each episode, I share a Lotus story from the past week. And what I mean by that is, as we've talked about, right, to be Lotus minded is to view any obstacle that comes at you during the day as an opportunity to heal, to grow, to evolve, right? and how to turn our triggers into our teachers, our pain to purpose, all of that. So, I don't think this has to be a huge, you know, breakdown to breakthrough moment every week, Um, but I do think every week I'm definitely going to be triggered by something, and I can learn from it. So, By committing to share a Lotus story from the week, I think I'm also helping myself by putting myself more so in the mindset of looking for how I can turn my triggers into my teachers. So that's why I'm here. I'm recording this on Sunday, February 20th, and this will come out on Wednesday. So I'm thinking I'll record these at the end of the week so I can reflect on the last week and think of my Lotus story, and then by the time you hear it, um yeah I'll be in the next week. But so for my lotus story this week some background is it was a big week for me this past week. The podcast launched which has been a journey. Um and I started a new full-time job at CU Boulder, the big university here in Boulder, and I'm the collegiate recovery coordinator. So I'm now working full-time in the recovery center as part of the health and wellness team at CU really helping students at the university who are in recovery, interested in recovery on their journeys of figuring out what recovery means to them um, who are struggling with a myriad right of different obstacles. So it was my first week in the office. I love the job so far i'm so 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 grateful for the opportunity to work there and to be helpful to college students and you know just be of service that way um but i think for any first week of a job right it comes with an adjustment getting used to going into the office for me as i've been like working at home for the last two years and um, navigating all of that so it was my second day in the office and I was having trouble finding parking. And basically, it's like $50 a month to get parking. But I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be able to find free parking somewhere close by. Um, Thinking I knew best, even though it's my first week and everyone said, yeah, you know, you should probably get parking. Um, I didn't want to pay that money. Maybe maybe there's some scarcity mindset there. And so I, I was opening the recovery center that day. Um because I was yes my boss had meetings and so I was going to be the first one to get there and so basically yeah I couldn't find parking the minutes were taking by minutes became 30 minutes 30 minutes became an hour and I couldn't find parking and finally I was like you know what I'm just going to pay for parking, and then I get to the lot and I can't find a spot. It's like more minutes are ticking by. I'm freaking out. I start like crying. I, I like getting really down on myself and mean to myself. My inner critics coming out, shaming me. And so eventually I'm like just doing laps and laps around this huge parking lot. Um, and I stop and I say, you know what, Raina we're gonna just take a few minutes to feel into these feelings and to breathe, right? And so I did some breathing that I knew would regulate my nervous system. I was definitely in a fight or flight sympathetic response. And when we're in that sympathetic response, we cannot think clearly. Like literally our our vision becomes much more narrowed. Our perception is very narrowed. We can't think of solutions. So I literally just stopped driving. There's no other cars around me, so it's okay. And I'm inhaling for four through my nose, holding for four at the top, exhaling really slowly for four out my nose, really just regulating my nervous system, taking a few minutes to do this, right like it's still early because I, I did leave early to get there because I am new. So I I wasn't like late. no one was waiting for me at the center. It was gonna be fine um, I just wasn't as early as I wanted to be. and I did that breathing I calmed down my like, My vision, my perception widened. I saw that this was really not that big of a deal. My inner critic just took control and was making a whole story about how I wasn't a good employee and all of these things. But when my inner mother was able to take over and soothe me and calm me down through my breathing, I was able to relax. And I believe, right, we live in this like mirror complex. So when I'm relaxed on the inside, opportunities on the outside will emerge but when I'm in a sympathetic state and really stressed on the inside I won't be able my my external reality will also reflect that back to me so when I was really stressed and anxious internally I couldn't find a spot it was like scarcity on the inside scarcity on the outside and then when I did relax and breathe for a few minutes and calm down and was in a space where I was being much kinder to myself, I literally looked to my right and there was a spot. <laughs> and I was like, wait, was that there the whole time? And it like literally shows when you're in that fight or flight, like you just miss things because you're so focused on the fear. So I parked. I it was like a $25 spot for the day which is like half of the if I had just got in the $50 right spot for the month right that's like half of it but my old mentor who's coming on the podcast for recording this coming week um, named Erin she has this quote and like this mantra she lives by that says I happily pay the price so I happily paid the price for my $25 spot and you know what? I was like, I got a beautiful spot. I'm here on time because I left super early. No one's waiting for me. I have a beautiful job that is going to allow me to live in abundance and service and love. I'm so grateful. I happily pay the price for this day of parking. I learned, right, that I probably should just get a spot or figure something else out. So, I went to work, had a beautiful day, but basically my Lotus story here, right, is that when we are in the midst of a fight or flight reaction, when we're in fear and scarcity, our external circumstances will also reflect that back to us. And it's important to pause in those moments and feel into those feelings. Give yourself the grace of the breath of truly just getting back into that relaxation response or turning on that relaxation response so that you can think and see clearly so that the universe will be able to give you a gift because if you're in fight or flight you won't be able to see the parking spot that's literally right next to you the whole time so um yeah my lotus story there is for me right it this challenged me to look more into my my scarcity parts and the scarcity mindset that was coming up around getting a spot um and looking at right like why did that activate me so much what's underneath there um and how can I bring in more of my divine inner mother into these experiences and I won't get so deep into it but yeah of course in those moments like a lot of inner critic thoughts came up so now I have more information to unpack to do this deep healing work with so that's my lotus story of the week Let me know, um, DM me on Instagram, and let me know what your lotus story of was the week. I really don't want this to just be like a one-sided thing. I'd love to hear every week what your lotus story was. What was a trigger that you turned into a teacher? How did you move through it? Um, Definitely let me know. I would be so grateful to hear. So anyway, back to this episode. As I said, we have the beautiful Eden Garcia-Thaler. Um, Eden is one of my best friends, as I said, and in this episode, we just get really deep into so many topics. Eden is a mentor and teacher of the process of integration. She focuses on helping others to illuminate and release the undigested emotions and patterns held within their nervous system that manifest as repeated blocks in their lives, and she helps her clients so that they can experience more freedom, wholeness, and fulfillment. So she has a very unique process of integration that we'll definitely get into. You know, integration is a word I think we hear a lot But Eden has formulated her own technique for helping herself and her clients to process undigested emotions. So I highly recommend listening through to the end and following Eden. I'll put all of her information in the show notes. Um, and I also wanted to share a little bit about how I met Eden because it's a really kind of kismet story. Basically, um, I talked about this in the first episode, I believe, but it was January 2021, beginning of the new year. My boyfriend and I, we were living in West Philadelphia in a one-bedroom apartment that we did love so much, Um, but we decided to go on a road trip for 10 days to Colorado. I had never been, and he loves Colorado. He had been coming here as a kid. Um, with his dad on like camping trips throughout his life. So he knew it pretty well and wanted to show me. So we did the road trip, we got to Boulder, we went to Boulder, Aspen, Steamboat Springs, a bunch of other places. And at one point we were doing a meditation on the mountains. We both like had a very deep emotional experience and looked at each other at the end and had the same exact download that like we were meant to live in Colorado at this time in our lives. So we drove back to West Philadelphia, packed up all our stuff, grabbed our dog, cleaned out the apartment so that it would be ready because we wanted to sublet it and find someone to sublet it. It felt so aligned, we knew we'd be able to find somebody. So we drove back to Colorado, we lived in the mountains for a few months, but weeks went by and we kind of both kept getting fucked over by leads on people who wanted to sublet our Philly apartment and then they would just like back out. And we were getting super frustrated, um, a lot of fear, because then at that point, right, we had like two rents to pay. Um, but eventually, I remember it was this one Saturday morning, and I cried because I was feeling a lot of stress about that no one was gonna sublet our Philly apartment, and we'd have two rents, and like the scarcity mindset coming out. And but eventually, I just said, you know what, like we do have the money to cover it. Like it's gonna be okay. I surrendered. I let my fear pass. I cried. Canyon goes to the other room he like says to me that I should just like meditate relax he goes to the other room and goes on a Facebook group of like Philly apartments and he starts talking to this girl named Eden and she's looking at the apartment and on her side I know this now because we've talked but she's like oh my god this is what I've been manifesting hardwood floors white walls cool crunchy area in west Philadelphia very artsy all these things she wanted and so her and Kenyon were talking. Kenyon also sees that Eden is a coach, a spiritual coach and mentor at that time. And she was working with girls in recovery from eating disorders. I That's my work too, right? So he's like, Kenyon's talking to her and is like, you really do the exact same work and seem to have like the same theoretical frameworks for your work as my girlfriend. You guys should definitely just link up even if this all doesn't end up working out. So they're talking, I'm in the other room like meditating. And I come in, Canyon starts to tell me about this lead that he's talking to this girl named Eden who lives in Virginia, and she's interested in the apartment. And then Canyon gets a call on his phone as I'm just walking in, and it's from a Virginia number, so I'm like, pick it up, maybe it's Eden or something. And he picks up, and it's a man, and he said, hey Canyon. like, I know you're talking to my girlfriend, Eden, right now on Facebook, but... I actually already have your number on my phone. And it turns out Canyon had like spoken at this um, online Zoom event for Philly people. It was like a spiritual group of people and he was sharing his story. And Eden's boyfriend was also at that call because he's moving to Philly and wanted to just like start going to like Philly online things because this is the time in COVID where nothing was open. And he had gotten Canyon's number there And they ended up having all these connections of of like spiritual connections with um, people that they both knew. And they ended up moving in in a few days to our Philly apartment, took over the sublet and they're still living there. And it's, you know, over a year later now. Eden and I I became soulmates so close. Um, Eden's boyfriend and my boyfriend are super close. We all talk all the time. We hope to do a vacation soon together. So basically, it's just right, like another like beautiful story of how God works, right? And how the universe is so beautiful. And when you like are in alignment, like with us, when we took this big risk to move to Colorado and to sublet our apartment and kind of just surrendered, the perfect people moved in, and now we have these like lifelong friends. And you know, we were so upset at first that we kept getting fucked over by all of these people who said they were going to move in would like pay us a deposit and then back out and we were so confused why we kept getting fucked over but of course it was because they weren't meant to be there Eden and Derek were so it's just pretty wild and yeah so that's how I know Eden and in this episode Eden shares so so beautifully her own lotus journey Her journey from turning her pain into purpose. She shows how she uses her triggers as teachers on a daily basis to learn more about herself, to connect to repressed parts, to digest old emotions, and to deeply, deeply heal. And yeah, she just really embodies how we can all turn our own obstacles into opportunities by moving in and through. Um, she shows us how you cannot bypass over anything in this life we really have to move in and through the only way out is in and through so she will show you how feeling is the most healing thing we can all do for ourselves and I'm so excited to hear all for you to hear all of the golden nuggets that she has in this episode. So definitely reach out after you're done. Let us know what you took from it, what you're feeling and thinking. Would so love to connect. And definitely follow Eden on all of her platforms, on Instagram, her website, her podcast. So many gems there for you to explore. So enjoy! (laughs)
1: I'm very honored and very excited to be here.
0: Well, I am so grateful for you to be here. As I was saying before, you're my first ever guest and interview. So I am just so beyond honored and excited to have this conversation with you.
1: I feel the same way. And whenever we talk, whether, you know, most we've never done an interview. So whenever we talk, we always have the best conversation. So I'm excited for how this is going to.
0: Hello. Me too. Thank you so much. And I just want to put a disclaimer out to anyone listening. I did wake up with sniffles and sneezes. So if that is going on in the interview, you know why. Um, But yeah, so welcome, Eden. I would love if we could start by you just introducing yourself to the audience, who you are, where do you live, and what you do in the world today.
1: So my name is Eden, and I am a teacher and a mentor for people going through their own process of healing and what I call integrating really is my word for healing, Um, but essentially helping them to illuminate, understand, and then fully release the subconscious emotional patterns that they have been sort of programmed to stay stuck in. Stuck in these feedback loops, facing blocks in their lives. And I help them kind of root those out of their nervous system and help them to release any undigested emotion, pain, so that they can become more integrated. In other words, more whole and fulfilled. And I currently live in Philadelphia, but I'm originally from, or I'm originally from New York, but I'm really from Virginia, is where I spent most of my life.
0: Beautiful. That is so incredible. I can't wait to hear more of your journey into this amazing work. Um, So yeah, I guess to start, I would love to go back in time. Um, I know you especially love to discuss how our childhoods and the emotional wounding that occurs when we're all young, right, impacts us. As adults. So I would love to hear for you, your journey of getting into this work starting when you were a little kid, right? So where you grew up, what your environment was like, siblings, parents, all of that.
1: Amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, to, to answer the first part of your question, or at least acknowledge it, I fully believe that we are all continuously living out as adults. If we aren't actively doing the work of what I call integration, I believe we are Perpetually living out our childhood wounding in ways that we won't recognize in our lives because on the surface it looks so different than it may have looked when those patterns first got laid down, but that almost everything can be traced back, especially, I mean, everything being relationship dynamics back to our childhood wounding. So, a little bit about me. I obviously have struggled with this, or I wouldn't be sharing this with the world and teaching about it. It's something I know intimately because I've had to do a lot of work on myself. Um, I grew up, I was born in New York, in Nershell, and moved to Virginia. I'm one of three siblings. I come from a blended family, so my parents were divorced when I was really, really young. I almost like don't remember not being in my blended family. But with many of us, um, I believe that these tools of sort of learning how to emotionally regulate ourselves and understand how to meet one another's and our own needs, um, many of us did not experience growing up that modeling or that from our parents or whoever our caregivers were. And even if we have the most perfect caregivers in the world who love us and do mean the best, I believe that we still all are going to receive some wounding, we're going to go through pain because no one is perfect. So some of my just personal wounding that I internalized and that I struggled with um, being a quote unquote sensitive person, an emotional person, I always had a lot of emotional needs and I didn't really experience those being met. Um, The ways that I learned to cope with that were initially through control, an eating disorder. Um, so much anxiety and depression, and really just this whole mentality that I internalized, which was really a victim mentality. And I don't mean that in a degrading way towards myself or other people. I just use that term to describe sort of the narrative that I took on, which was really someone who was just in a lot of pain and had a lot of shame that I had internalized and was sort of projecting that out onto the world, and so experiencing um, that back in return. And so, pretty early, I I feel like I hit a lot of my rock bottoms really early, which was really convenient in a lot of ways because it set me on the healing path from a very young age. I, being like a type A perfectionist, control and people pleasing were the ways that I sort of dealt with things and obviously the eating disorder. I found myself in the ballet world um, doing professional ballet training and then dancing professionally all by the time I was 16, 17, and sort of just went through the ringer there and sort of hit various different points in my eating disorder and mental health where I finally was introduced to meditation by someone. And I just started, it was really like my spirit just started waking up and like urging me, in another direction. And that sort of set off my path that I am now on today.
0: Eden, thank you so much for sharing all of that and giving us you know, this very clear picture of your trajectory. It's so inspiring and, and the way you frame it and can talk about it so insightfully now is just right? Proof really what this work does and being able to rewire our brains so we can have a different perspective on what we go through, right? And that's really why I call this podcast Lotus Minded was because lotus flowers, right? Are these beautiful, lovely flowers, but they only are able to blossom from really dark, murky swamps, right? This idea that our pain can become our purpose in the world. And you truly embody this to me, um, which is why I'm so grateful to have you as my first guest. Um, yeah. I'd love to just, <laughs> I would love to kind of go back in time to what you were saying a little bit when you were saying you were this extremely sensitive child, I was too. Um, and right, despite our parents can be the most wonderful parents in the world, but we're not always taught how to respond to s- extreme sensitivity and em- empathicness <laughs> an empathic child. So I'm curious for you. Um, We've talked a lot about the two of us shadow and I know you do a lot of work with shadow in your work with clients. So I'm curious about the specific kind of shadow parts that you learned to repress in childhood and maybe some of the limiting beliefs that you had about yourself. Um, and then, right, I know you said you developed right perfectionism, people-pleasing, and eating disorder, right, as these ways to kind of run away from that shadow, those limiting beliefs. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about, for you, what were those shadow parts and those limiting beliefs that led to the specific coping mechanisms that you chose?
1: Mm, great question. Um, so I would say, in general, the, very generally speaking, I would say the... The large sort of thing that I internalized. This wasn't a conscious belief, but what I learned was that my needs were not valid, period. So, what I really experienced was a turning inwards and I sort of this full repression of any needs that I had to the point where, like, I didn't feel any emotions until I was like, probably 21 like i don't even know but um so really that large limiting belief that shaped it was because i was just in a setting in which that's what i that's how my child like brain interpreted the fact that my every emotional need was not getting met in the way i needed in order to best thrive the only logical realization as a child that i could come to was this must mean like i don't matter or my needs don't matter mm-hmm. So I shrank. I shrank and that manifested through my eating disorder with like literally not eating to like try and shrink myself and take up less space. And um, so I think there would be shadow then around any need that I literally had. I didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, advocate for myself in any way. And I think that the things that I was validated in was being smart, being good at school, being this overcompensation to try and receive love of being an overachiever that's the only time that my childlike brain interpreted that I was getting any approval so those kind of aspects of me soared and then all the other parts of me kind of were more in shadow as you would say um so yeah
0: yeah. And, you know, something else we've talked a lot about, right, is that these like, quote unquote, coping mechanisms or quote unquote, maladaptive behaviors, like an eating disorder, addiction, right? These parts of us are trying to protect us in some way, right? They're trying to protect us from feeling our shadow, from from looking at our past and our wounding. Um, so I'm curious, right? Did you feel like I'm curious your process of letting these things go, right? And moving from these things protecting you to suddenly feeling this rawness around those old parts. It was a
1: a long journey. It was a long journey that I'm still very much on because as you have just illustrated, in order to let go of the maladaptive patterns, you need to to build another way to deal with all of that pain that you are adapting to with these maladaptive patterns. And so Mm -hmm. that started for me with healing my relationship to food because that was the way that was the most concrete and most evident that I was very unhealthy. I mean, it was like having real physical detriments to my body. Right. And so it sort of set me on this quest of figuring out at that point, just in my head, like, how do I stop being so neurotic with food? And so I went to college and I thought that if I like learned all about health, that that would help me to like have a better relationship to food and it didn't whatsoever. And so Mm -hmm. then I started studying psychology and that helped some like understanding just basic human psychology, but it really didn't help me shift anything in a meaningful way. It wasn't until I started sort of going on this more spiritual journey and encountering different people who were starting to really transform my perspective of life and how to navigate life and healing and emotions that I began to start to intuit the path that I'm now on. And I started to realize almost in a systematic way because I'm a very like logical person in a sense, even though I'm very mm-hmm. highly emotional as well. I started to realize, I don't even remember how I got to this, but I remember I was in India because I studied abroad in India and I had, I had met like my, who would become my first mentor who just fully like awakened so much in me, my, my teacher who I went on to study with for like two years. But, and it, so much was brought up in the face of that. And I think we all probably have those catalyst moments where we just meet this thing or we encounter this idea or this book and it just like starts to, f- the floodgates start to open. But I remember like in my little like apartment or room with AC in India and I was like journaling and writing stuff and I started writing down like all of my biggest insecurities that I had been, Like running from. Like, I just started writing down on paper. Like, it was the first time I'd I'd even been honest with myself about how I actually Mm. felt. And I just started looking at this, like, I just started purging it out. And I felt so liberated from that and empowered from that. Because one of the biggest patterns that I internalize, actually, and that I believe is at the root of victim mentality, is actually just we're suppressing all of our shame it's like we secretly feel or subconsciously feel very inadequate and very ashamed but we don't want to look at that because it's too uncomfortable so it's the blaming Mm -hmm. of like our experience on everyone else and i was honestly going through life like that like i was not going down a good path as far as my relationships with people and the way i left relationships the way i just sort of like operated in life I, i wasn't taking responsibility for anything that I was experiencing. And so I started just venting this out. And over the course of the next several years, I started realizing that every time, and I started approaching this truly like a scientist, like I would literally wake up and be like, okay, I feel really crappy today. As I did a lot of days, I felt anxious, I felt depressed. And I would just straight up go into it. Like I would just look at it like, this is my, pr- my practice is to feel this stuff. How do I get to the root of what this really is? And I would distill down the limiting belief and I would have this huge like realization and this healing around it. And I started to notice that I started feeling so much better, not only genuinely inside, but I started to see my reality shift because those feelings and patterns actually started going away. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but I think it was only through the process of genuinely becoming ready and willing to face the emotional pain that I was numbing or soothing myself with, with food or with restricting or controlling or being codependent that I could truly become liberated from those maladaptive patterns. Eden,
0: beautiful. Thank you so, so, so much for really spelling all of that out. You said so many important things. The first thing I just want to highlight, right, is that you said when you were struggling, you know, deeply with this eating disorder and you went to college. And at first, right, it was like, if I study health and nutrition and food that will heal the eating disorder. Right. And I think this is a common path that so many people take. Right. When thinking, okay, I have the surface issue, so I must need a surface level solution. And what I love so much about you and your path is, right, like, you, you dispelled that myth very quickly for yourself, of right? Like, there, you need to get to the root and heal the root, right? And it's never going to be just what's on the surface. So I have to heal it on the surface. Um, and I know that came up with food with you. And I'm curious, um, before I just continue unpacking all that you said, because there's so much good stuff there, right? Like, Did you try to heal surface level issues with surface level solutions in any other way besides food or was like food really the only one?
1: That's a really good question. And I will say that I learned that lesson really fast. Like I, Mm -hmm. I learned that it didn't work so fast and I was going down this other path, but I will say that how it sort of worked for me in my life is like I feel like I go through these big domains, the, like a, I'll try and master a certain area of life. So I really went through this whole food domain and journey and that was like everything. It was like getting to the root of that. It, it consumed everything because you know, like when you are struggling with food, it consumes your every thought. It's, it's a literal nightmare. So that was just my main focus. And then I would say after I got to the root of that and sort of towards the tail end of that, it sh- did shift onto relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. because though there were overlaps, I, it was just like the lessons were getting subsequently harder. And so I would say relationships would be the other area where I did not initially understand the level of work that it was going to take to heal in relationship. And I definitely, yes, a thousand percent went through the cycle of, oh, it's just this person. Let me just break up with this person, new person, like same exact problems or, Mm -hmm oh, okay, not going to learn lesson there. Let me just get a new person. And also in friendship, the exact same thing. Oh, I'm just going to cut this person out of my life. Then I'm just going to cut this person out of my life. (laughs) Thinking that Mm -hmm. that was the solution when once again, it was not.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And right. It just shows like symptom displacement, right? And until we get to the root of the root of the root which of course is a lifelong journey, but if we're not on top of it, it will just continue to displace to different areas of our life. Um, and it requires right really going in and in, in to see where all of this is stemming from. And, you know, what we talk a lot about is it often stems from like this overall wound of I'm not lovable or I'm not worthy. Right. Um, yeah. And right. What, also really stood out to me, I was going to ask you about like your breakthrough moment. And right, some people have these like really intense rock bottoms, and then these breakthrough moments, or I know you call them remembrances, right, where we kind of remember our true nature and the truth of existence. Um, I learned also from one of your podcast episodes, right, there's in Buddhism, this is called like a Satori moment, this like awakening where you like realize truth. Um for me, I noticed early on in you know my recovery and healing, I would I became addicted to these moments <laughs> almost <laughs> like I just wanted these intense light bulb awakening moments all of the time, which right it's a, that's a better addiction than alcohol or drugs, sure yeah but. I also have learned over time for me, right? Really honoring the journey, this, this gradual healing over long periods of time, and the patience that comes with that, right? So I was curious for you, right? Was there, you know, at the time of your eating disorder, like a rock bottom moment and a remembrance moment, um, or was it more over a long period of time? I know also, right, you reference these remembrances through the work that you do daily, So has it become for you kind of just this daily practice of moving into remembrance through the shadow work?
1: I would say yes, the daily practice has. And I would say just overall, my amount of percentage of my time and consciousness that I spend in the remembrance has gone up. And I think Uh that that is probably the central aim of my work and quest, because for me, it's really about self-acceptance and self-compassion and self-love and self-forgiveness and not in an intellectual way, but having that embodied experience. And so for me in my journey, like from the time periods we're talking about to now, it was, it started as like, I lived in so much self, like hate in a way, like just, mm-hmm. we talk about the inner critic, like I, I fully identified with my inner critic. And so that obviously played into all the maladaptive patterns because I felt constantly like I had to re-earn my self-worth by not eating or by people-pleasing or whatever it was. And so the first – one of the first big remembrances that I had was with my body in the sense that I was constantly trying to restrict and – I was just living out this like seesaw with food and really coming to this moment of realizing like no amount of my control was even good enough. Like to me, my inner mm-hmm. critic and my ego was so fed based on the idea during this whole period of time that I was somehow like superior to other people because of how much quote unquote self-control I had or or how much more I could you know, restrict or be self-disciplined, like really just this whole martyrdom complex. And so this beautiful intervention happened by the literal grace of God, where, thank God, my control, the, the level to which I was trying to control in my relationship to food was not enough to actually like satisfy my ego or my perceived like goals or whatever, and so it was kind of this forced rock bottom where I realized that like my best as a perfectionist like was still falling short, and no, no, mm-hmm. it was just this huge shattering of my ego, and it was just this huge like also self honest moment that I had for like one of the first times in my life because I was in the past I would have just been beating myself up and and continuing to like strive out of like spite and all of these internalized moments, but it was just this rock bottom. Like I was just so fed up and realizing that my best, even my best, which I so identified with at that time, like just at the time, it was such a a blow to me was, was not good enough. And in that moment, I simultaneously felt unconditional love for myself for the first time. And whether Mm -hmm. I felt that as this kind of spiritual force or just within myself, doesn't really matter. I just felt this huge wave of compassion. It was like, my best isn't enough and it's okay. And I, mm. I felt the embodied sense of those words. And so for me, that was the first time, one of the first times of having this remembrance that was really a remembrance of the truth that I believe is actually already true, which is that I am already enough. No matter, I don't have to try and control in order to be enough. And so, I see integration. I was literally just saying this to a client this morning, but I see integration as there's all these little po- pockets or bubbles of fragmentation of this wound I don't want to feel, and this shame I don't want to feel, and this embarrassment I'm running from, and these other pains that I, I'm running from. And I really see integration as pulling this thread of self-acceptance to melt all these bubbles and to, to acceptance and compassion is the the antidote. It is the, the vehicle through which those fragmented c- components come back into the whole. And when all of those fragments are compartmentalized out, they're fully repressed. The only thing left is the inner critic that we're now operating mm-hmm. on. The only thing We're living in a completely diluted, unconscious, fragmented, pain-based state where we're just running from the inner critic. And so that's why for me, remembrance is everything because it's the remembrance of that which is already true that we have just Mm -hmm. learned to forget.
0: Mm, That's so beautiful, right? And I think sometimes it takes a certain amount of like deep pain and surrender to be willing right to let those shadow parts in right because that that's courageous right these parts that we're so ashamed of in ourselves to have this courage and strength to let those in right at least for me oftentimes i need to get myself into enough pain where i have no other choice and the surrender to myself is is the only option left right but it's it's the truth yeah and um you know, going back to that that moment you had, one of the breakthrough moments of being in India in this little room with no air conditioning, right? And just being fully with yourself and writing down all of these insecurities, right? In a way, that was what you were just describing, of inviting all of these shadow parts in. And the relief that we feel when we can do that and not, we see we're not going to die. We can have all of these parts and we're still whole and beautiful, Yeah. That relief.
1: A thousand percent. Yeah. And I think that part of the reason why I'm uniquely equipped to be doing this work and sharing it with others is that I, for some reason, because I feel that I just hacked my own way to figuring this out early on, Mm -hmm. it's like I managed to switch my belief system to where I actively see... I don't feel for me that it actually takes courage anymore because I just actively have switched it somehow to where I love going into that stuff. I I have completely mm-hmm. like neutralized it. And I think that that's such a, a gift that I learned from mentors or I'm not sure how I picked that up. I think honestly just – the, the in my brain the like reward system that now occurs that I just know okay all you have to do is like get to the root of this like it it's just so second nature for me and it's just so interesting and sometimes frustrating and I know you probably experience this too being a person who like does this type of work but that other people like don't want to do it I have to constantly <laughs> remind myself like- that to other people like no one wants to really do this or or it's really hard for them because for me I'm like oh what's my worst fear today it's like oh I secretly think I'm like so in love. like it's just so neutralized that I totally. do I do it so much but
0: yeah I hear you it's it's it kind of reminds me like I just got this image of right like kind of addicts or even like sugar addicts, when they get that sweet, it's like a dopamine hit goes off and they're like, yes. And it's like almost for you right now, it's like the work gives you that dopamine it hit, does. which is incredible. It
1: literally does. <laughs> I have to like not do it. And that's another thing is like we can constantly, I've been on the rabbit hole of like digging for more and more blocks and like just not living because I'm just thinking I'm going to fix myself. But that's like a whole other thing. But when you can associate the reward with this, I I think that that switch in mindset is absolutely key. If you're going to, if you're seeking to lastingly transform your life and your experience, I think that that bringing in that neutral experience and that complete release of one experience is good and the other is bad. And if I'm anxious, it's bad. And if I'm not having a good day, it's bad. That's great. I mean, and I think too, just for me out of necessity, I had a lot of bad days. So I I really didn't have, Mm -hmm. you know, Anyways, (laughs)
0: and I mean, it's this, right, it's this ability to cultivate just acceptance and unconditional presence and love for whatever shows up that day, right? Is it boredom? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Is it fear? And whatever it is, like, we can find more information from this, right? Or maybe we won't find information today, but we'll cultivate strength in not having that information. Um, It's always a lesson.
1: Right. And maybe you'll have a utter transformation of realizing some pain you've been holding on to for years. It's been creating some pattern that you're going to heal like today, which is so exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. I actually, I did an Instagram post yesterday that, you know, a lot of it I've learned from you and I would love if you could speak to this too, right? How, when we give ourselves unconditional permission to fully feel whatever is coming up. You know, let's say it's crying, like an intense sadness bawling. Instead of trying to shut it down or tell ourselves that we're weak or tell ourselves that we quote unquote shouldn't be feeling this way, if we give ourselves the gift of just fully feeling whatever emotions are coming up, whether it be sadness or like intense anger, we are shedding months, years, and maybe even generations of repressed pain, shadow, trauma. And that feeling experience in itself can be the biggest medicine you need more than any green juice or yoga class or anything. And I know that is such a central part of the work you do with clients and yourself. So I'd love if you could speak to that a little bit. A
1: thousand percent. I see every emotion that arises literally as our inner child. I'll just say my inner child for this example, coming to the Mm -hmm. fore. And what the reason why it's coming to the fore again, this emotion is because it has not yet been validated and therefore there has not been integration um, created around it. And I'll describe what I mean by that. So whenever Mm -hmm. this emotion comes up and we don't give ourselves the space to fully feel it, we are essentially reinforcing the invalidation of that experience that we at one time internalized from how we saw things externally. So we're just reinforcing on the the inside dichotomy the same dynamic we once experienced. And the reason why Mm -hmm. we're likely doing that is because we have a judgment around that emotion. We see it as, I'm being too much. I shouldn't be having this emotion. I'm too old to be this. I should be farther along, whatever it is. And that's the shadow, right? That's just the lid that keeps that emotion continuously repressed. And so when we can finally step in and be the one to start doing this, be the almost liaison between all these different parts of us, we can finally start to validate our experience. Validation is like the number one, like it is the first step to integrating an emotion because we first need to feel that the fact that we're having that emotion is valid. It's like literally the one-on-one because most of us are just existing in this like subtle invalidation of our emotions all the time. That's why they're repressed. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: when we can bring it into this container, into this arena, and we have the validation, we feel safe to feel that emotion, and then we let the part of us who is having that emotion fully experience it while we simultaneously are seeing it as valid, we can then open up the stage for us to finally then give that part of ourselves the thing that it never received, which is why this emotion is still coming up. And that could simply be validation. It could be you taking that emotion seriously. It could be having compassion. It could be having forgiveness for that part of you. But until we do that, like you said, we're going to be staying in these patterns that are honestly so painful and playing out these dynamics. We're going to be subconsciously orchestrating the perfect circumstances through which <laughs> to bring that emotion back up just to have it like invalidated again because we're just on this loop. Mm-hmm. So um, yes, yeah, so when we can hold the space, quote unquote, for ourselves in that way, becoming this sort of inner parent to ourselves, I see it as we're closing these feedback loops. It's like we're filling mm-hmm. up these potholes that we keep running into finally with concrete so that they no longer stop us and we can actually move forwards and no longer fall into the same patterns. But the key, the step one is we have to see our experience as valid. And so I think it helps a lot of people to see that part of you that's having that experience as their inner child or a child that they know or a baby, because suddenly that shifts us into like, whoa, if if a child was having this way, would I be just saying that they're too lazy? <laughs> probably not. Mm. You would probably be like, oh, wow, I see how you feel that way. I can see how this would be really hard.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love that, right? And it can, you know, this whole idea of reparenting, right? And, and doing the parent work to heal this inner child that only we as adults can really fulfill its needs. Um I love though another way you've described this in a podcast episode is kind of looking at it from like a masculine and feminine standpoint and like um a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Can you talk explain that cuz yes. that really <laughs> resonated with me.
1: <laughs> so I learned this from my one of my mentors whose name is Katie Silcox, but she talks about it as the inner masculine and inner feminine and I I'm I'm just creating a piece of content on this right now. So perfect timing but The inner masculine really is our ability to hold, quote unquote, hold the space, which really means be in this energy of complete neutrality. In other words, 0% triggered by the other part of you's emotion. And the other part of you that's having an emotion, we'll just call the inner feminine. And so how this looks is like when you are PMSing and being a total Leave to your partner. <laughs> you can curse. Okay. And you know, you you know in the back of your head, you are fully acting out your own stuff right now. You're treating them like crap. What do you want from them in that moment? What I know that I want in that moment is for my boyfriend to literally be like, you know what, babe, I know you're being so mean to me right now, but it's I just love you. I just know that you're having the worst day, you're acting so angry, you look like a mess, you look terrible, you're being psychotic. Ugh, give me more, like I am so here for you. I will never abandon you. Like just, just sitting there, rubbing your back, whatever you know metaphor comes to mind, but it's just this tone of like, you can show me any part of you and I will never abandon you. It will never be too much just like a child Mm -hmm. who's having a tantrum, like they need someone to be sitting there who will never reject them in that, like to show them you're safe in this emotion. Like I see that you are angry and it's okay, I still love you. So Mm -hmm. we need to be that dichotomy within ourselves. And so the inner masculine is a part of us that when we become triggered or reactive or see ourselves mess up, do something like totally reactive that can go, babe, I got this. I got you. I already forgive you. Mm -hmm. You messed up and it's okay. Or you look a mess and it's okay. I will never abandon you. And that's some of that medicine of just that no matter what, like I'm not going to judge myself because judgment is the number one obstacle to integration. Judgment just forces everything back down but it's also Mm -hmm. important to keep in mind as you said like that it really isn't anyone else's responsibility to to, (laughs) we shouldn't go expecting our boyfriends to do this but when we do this for ourselves people will start treating you and mirroring that back to you
0: um in return Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that so much, beautiful, right? And sometimes I do do that to my boyfriend, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's only because I've done that work within myself that I attracted a partner who it can be that for me at times as well. Amazing, exactly. And you know, you you also talk a lot about manifestation, right? And until we really heal those wounds within us, like just using the example of attracting in that like soulmate partnership, you need to have that masculine, feminine, or whatever you want to call it, relational wound. Right. I don't know if it's ever totally healed. I think that's a lifelong practice for me, at least, but mm-hmm. um, have, been, have done a lot of work on it in order to attract that in. Yes. Um, I I know also, you know, you've talked a lot about like, right, your internal world on the inside is what is going to manifest on the outside. So instead of, you know, in this healing path, trying to manipulate and change all of these external scenarios what's most essential is that we look inward. Can you talk about that in your own experience? You know, any, you can choose any topic, relationship, work, school, anything. um, And how, when you healed that wound internally, like it manifested externally.
1: Oh, my favorite topic. (laughs) Um, So I'm currently playing this out with money right now. So I'm not going to talk about that one because it's not as healed, but I mean, my relationship is a perfect example of this. And you mm-hmm. talked about this. And I think it's it's a main – this is a main thing everyone's going through and can resonate with probably at some point. But um, Totally. I have a three-part podcast episode, so I can't summarize this. But essentially, in partnership, in my personal experience, after I healed my food issues, I still had all these like total codependent issues. And I sort of believe that when we're – still in the process of like healing, we look for a partner who really is just going to like meet all of our emotional needs. When we're coming from an Mm -hmm. unconscious perspective, it's like we're really just looking for someone who can fulfill all the things, all those unhealed wounds inside of us. And so that was exactly me with my current now partner who I was absolutely obsessed with. Like I was literally a psycho. (laughs) I was obsessed (laughs) with him from the moment I met him. (laughs) It was truly the definition of like trauma bonding, but mixed with actual soulmate connection because we actually are Mm -hmm. like soulmates in my opinion. But there was this huge layer of like trauma bonding laid on top for me at least. And I was fully like number one red flag is like if you are in a grasping or longing or fixating mentality, like you're in lack mentality and that's coming from a wound. And so that was me with him. I mean, I was obsessed. I like couldn't let it go. I like had three quote unquote heart to hearts where I tried to like tell him that I was in love with him and he was just like, no, I mean, <laughs> he, he, he wasn't that bad. He was, I'm making it seem like, but I didn't listen up, to the episode on Eden. Yeah. Podcast just listen to the full episode. story. But <laughs> I ended up having my heart broken by him and basically like, in whatever way, shape, or form, turned down, and I was like, okay, like, dang, like, this is it. I'm, that's it. That was the first time I've ever had my heart like really broken, and it prompted this next wave of this huge healing journey that I then went on, where I literally cut out all. All like side bay type relationship, all quote unquote guy friends, like all everything. I, I literally went on a fast because I, without realizing this, thinking I was just this quote unquote nice friendly girl, was always looking in subconscious ways for validation from like this friend or that friend, like just feeling great by having all these like guys around who probably had a crush on me. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um And just was like, that's it. And I fully surrendered it. And I started honing in on a deeper lay of this work, specifically that inner masculine dynamic where I started to like hold myself, not only like metaphorically, I started to hold the boundaries around my emotions and stop looking for them to get met anywhere and take responsibility for every single emotion that arised and just gathering my power, like harnessing it back into me. And to the point where, and I really think this is a point we should all strive for in manifestation is like to the point where I literally no longer cared about the manifestation because I really think with manifestation, it's an inner journey. It's an inner alchemy. It's like, if you can figure out how to, on the inside, merge with what that manifestation represents to you, you then are integrating out of even wanting that thing because you've You healed the part of you who's projecting some external validation onto that thing. And that's what happened to me. It was like all of a sudden I pivoted into this zone where I literally couldn't care less. Like I was like, I don't care if Derek ever – to all I had for him, you have to listen to the episode, but was like gratitude. Like it was just the most surrendered thing. This is over, by the way, like a two-year period. So it takes time. Mm -hmm. But Takes time. And then – literally three months into that just total surrender place he comes out of the woodworks and is like i want to basically marry you without saying that like i'm fully ready and he genuinely was he had genuinely like fully come to terms with everything he's probably in the next room like loling right now as i tell my full rendition of this story (laughs) my version but um but yeah (laughs) um i can't fully remember what the question was but that answer no that was
0: beautiful it answered I was just like an example right of how when you heal the inner dynamics the outer ones just seamlessly occur that was the same situation not exactly but very similar with Canyon my partner I had had another heartbreak months before and like decided you know what like I'm going on a fast um I am just going to truly like heal and I moved back home with my parents I like did months of just solo healing work and I remember it was Valentine's Day like 2020 and I got lunch with my dad and Kenyon was just a friend at the time but I remember it saying to my dad like dad I truly feel like I don't need a partner ever like I love myself so much and I'm so excited about my life and my trajectory and like no matter what like if I I don't feel like I ever need a partner. And my dad was so like struck by this. He's like, I don't think most people ever get to that point. Like, that's really cool that you feel that way. And a month later, like, you know, it just happened with Canyon very naturally or however long later. But it was really interesting for me to see. It wasn't until I fully like embodied that sense of self-love and autonomy that my soulmate came in. And I like, again, couldn't care less if it ever came in. So I totally identify with
1: that. Yeah. And it's also yeah. when like, because what that is too, it's this inner merging of like, for me, when you're in grasping or desperation, you are like a polarity of energy and you're looking mm-hmm. for that other piece externally to really like soothe you or to be all the things. And when your system during that time when I was healing, I like intuitively would start just like acting to myself in a deep emotionally intimate way like the mm-hmm. way I was hoping a partner would, like the way I would talk to myself or even just like hold myself. like, <laughs> And it's like, I had to, and I think this is true for all manifestation, like familiarize my nervous system with receiving that other piece. And so it's only mm-hmm. when you are in that complete relationship of wholeness within yourself, are you gonna call in a whole person? Because mm. that's finally familiar within your nervous system is, that level of intimacy and being seen and it's the same with any relationship dynamic you want to heal like do this work because you're going to enter into the most loving dialogue like with yourself and your inner child and when you start to validate those emotions and finally take them seriously then other people will too and so wordlessly as well Mm -hmm. as you're just going to feel so much more like deep love for yourself but
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is magical. You know, it's it really is spectacular. Um, Something I wanted to talk about, I think you talked about it in your first ever podcast episode, and it has always stuck with me. I'm um, kind of going back to remembrance, right? And when we're on this path of healing wounds, like let's say this relationship wound or partner wound or whatever, I love that you really talk about, oh my God, so I, never mind. I'll tell you later. Something just popped up. Manifestation. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but anyway, so cool. um, kind of on this path of healing, right? I talked about earlier how, like, at first, I was kind of addicted to these moments of breakthroughs or remembrances. And I want to talk about that, that spiritual perfectionism also. But something that you've really delved into in your work is that we are human. So a byproduct of being human on earth is that we have a limited consciousness and a limited capacity to always be in remembrance, right? And we kind of come here and we forget and we remember and we forget and we remember. But that's kind of awesome because we get to have these like beautiful new experiences of remembrance every day right and it's mm-hmm. you don't have to wait till new year's or whatever it can be every day every moment um that you're willing to go there and you know you had this beautiful example in your podcast of like when you were living with Derek your partner and like he was going on vacation and you were really sad that he was leaving but you were so excited for when he got back because there would be like that remembrance <laughs> yeah. and you know, so it's oftentimes, right, like I personally and my, I believe, you know, we are always in a state of healing Um, and mm-hmm. right life will give us all of the people, places and things that we need to heal like a mirror to what is inside of us that needs more attention. Right. Um, But that the forgetting is part of it and it, it is not necessarily a quote unquote bad thing. And I know in your work with Tantra, right, the main belief there that you've talked about is like there is no good or bad. It all just is. It's information. Um, So I'd love for you to talk about like forgetting and remembering and why that is a beautiful thing in healing. Mm.
1: Well, I think that, uh, well, so I went on when I started getting on this path. I had this like blast off spiritual awakening. Like I truly, Mm -hmm. my vessel, my human body was not prepared to handle the level of just like, I mean, you've probably been there. You've heard about like, it's a whole pink cloud where it's like, you are just on cloud nine. Like, and that, that was me. Like, I really thought that, and I've heard Rod Stryker, who's like a really amazing yogic teacher, but talk about this where it's like you be you start chasing the ecstasy and it's like a lot of people on mm. the spiritual path are really bypassing and and that's a that's a very mm-hmm. common thing to say but i think it's literally 12 times more common and i i think like for most of us like we really don't need to be that concerned about this true spiritual path at least for me at this stage in my life like I'm Mm -hmm. like, if we don't need to be talking about the 5D until we've mastered like the 3D, like how's your relationship with your family? Like I know for me, I still have a lot of work to go. So I don't really need to be focusing on blasting my consciousness. Like to me, that's just like really futile because number one, like we came here, like we came here to have a human experience. And I think like let's focus on that because Mm -hmm. there's plenty of work to do and we're a human like I know I'm getting a little ranty right now but I just no love it keep going I spent years I spent like a few years like truly on another plane just bypassing everything and truly not focusing on on being human and I think it's just turns into this quest where There is no end goal and there's so many reasons why we subconsciously are motivated to bypass the actual work that you and I are talking about because it's actually really Mm -hmm. hard and painful. And I think a lot of us Mm -hmm. get onto a healing or spiritual journey because we're in pain. And so I think it's really easy at first to be holding onto this expectation that this coach, this realization, this teacher, if I do this mantra every Mm -hmm. single day for this amount of hours, like it'll make me better or I'll finally be perfect or I'll finally feel like good. And it's, Mm -hmm. that's really more a question of like what are you running from? Because that's Mm -hmm. actually where the integration and healing needs to occur. And then sort of my other thought on this, well, I have a couple more thoughts, but my next thought on this is like what you alluded to, which is that as a human being, I it is not my personal aim to reach enlightenment. My personal mm-hmm. aim is to be a really good, more a better and more compassionate human being. That's an mm-hmm. attainable goal for a human being, um, and that's what all of my work designed is designed to like help people attain. So I think that when we just set up our goals, we need to be really intentional as to not create a situation where we are never going to be kind of satisfied or feel good enough um and then finally, with this duality of just being whole and being imperfect, I believe that there our soul you know our soul our spirit, our beingness is perfect in a sense it's perfect, mm-hmm. we're already loved I believe in grace, like I believe in God, mm-hmm. I believe. We're already check mark. You're good to go. Even if you're a murderer, Mm -hmm. like literally Mm -hmm. on a soul level, you're already loved. Like you're, if you desire that, if you want to partake in that. So on one hand, yes, we're done. Like we're totally unconditionally loved on another hand, to what extent are you actually experiencing that in your day-to-day life? Because I know for Mm -hmm. me, I could say that all day long, but still feel horrible you know? And, Mm -hmm. and so that's because I'm a human and I have consciousness. Mm -hmm. I have a real physical body, which means I have a nervous system, which means no matter who I am, no matter how perfect, I'm going to try to be to my parent, my child, my kids are going to have wounding. They're going to develop patterns. They're going to experience pain. They're going to be mean to other kids when they're having a bad day. And that's because they're Mm -hmm. human. And so Mm -hmm. It's just holding this dichotomy of we're perfect, right? We're perfect. We're undes- we're inherently deserving of love. And that's not always going to be our experience in life as a human. And so mm-hmm. I think it's it's one of those where there's two truths and they don't they seem to conflict, but they really just simultaneously
0: exist. Oh, thank you so much. I completely resonate with all of that. Um, I would love to do a whole episode on spiritual bypassing with you because I yeah. think that is such an important topic, especially today. And right. We've both had a, our own journeys with it. Um, you know, for me, like from ages like 17 to 22, it was right. I was like, quote unquote, spiritual, drinking all the green juice, going to yoga every day, doing my mantras, whatever. But I was so disconnected from myself, um, living in a, totally different world <laughs> and using spiritual principles oftentimes to hurt me, mm-hmm. um, which I think, right. That's where the real harm comes in is when we're using, le- we're all souls and light and love. So it's fine. And I am choosing to just see light and love in this person, even though they're <laughs> hurting me deeply. Right. And we can do a whole episode into spiritual bypass. Um, but I-, I love that you really showed me from what you just said, like spiritual perfectionism is just another form of bypassing, right? It's like this other way of running from something. Mm -hmm. Because I think when we bring perfectionism or like an intense pressure into anything, there's not that neutral charge that you talk about. And whenever Mm -hmm. there's uh, this activation or charge, that means there's something to unpack. Um, Can you talk to me about for you, how you recognize when there's like an urgency or charge and your process of working through that, right. Your integration process.
1: Yes. And you said, uh, maybe that's on. a whole episode too. <laughs> that could be a whole episode. That would be like 12 episodes. But but you said something on our phone call the other day that was like, if it's urgent, it's not spiritual. And mm-hmm. that I wish I had heard that like a year ago, because I have done my integration practice very urgently. And at times that mm-hmm. served me and at times it has not. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the ways that I recognize it in myself is a feeling of pressure. I mm-hmm. really can sense when I start getting into a pre- i – I'm going to call it a pressured state in the sense that what the na- inner narrative starts sounding like is there's not enough time, there's not enough money, there's not enough resources – it, it's it's mm-hmm. there's not enough of something. So in other words, it's a scarce it's a scarcity mindset, which would indicate mm-hmm. that I'm in some level, some low level, however mild, of a fight or flight. Because when we're in parasympathetic, mm-hmm. we don't perceive time that way. When we're in fight or flight, we perceive time as going by like there's not enough. Um so that is a huge indicator to me that I am in scarcity. But what that further indicates to me through the lens of my integration process is that I'm inside of a limiting belief because Mm -hmm. I'm only perceiving that there is not enough money, not enough time. Unless literally I have zero dollars in my bank account and I have zero food and I have zero shelter, then it is just a perception that there's not enough time or not enough Mm -hmm. money or whatever it is. Um, So which would indicate then, then it is actually a limiting belief. And so what that tells me is that somewhere I'm believing that whatever my experience is, is wrong. So I, I'm i trying to give an example of this like today. Like today I was thinking about my business and I was having so many thoughts and I was getting so overwhelmed because I was like, oh my gosh, I really want to set up like this Patreon tier and like da 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 but like I also want to be on Instagram and I need to figure out what this podcast episode is for this week and I don't have any ideas and I like can't figure out what it is and like oh like there's not a time like I'm so behind I was like oh oh my gosh I'm inside of a limiting belief so what am I mm-hmm. believing right now that is creating the sensation of scarcity and mm-hmm. the thing that I was believing was that I couldn't take something off my plate or I couldn't make these tasks I couldn't give myself more time to complete all these tasks. Mm. Um, and the reason why I didn't want to do that was because I didn't want, <laughs> I wanted to make it happen really fast because a part of me was feeling like, oh, I'm not as far ahead as I want to be. And that's hard for me to feel because whatever reason. Um, so that's like a little bit of my process is how I, of how I look at like, what is the belief that I'm holding actually in my body that's creating the experience of pressure, which if I can, number one, assess that belief and see, is it true or is it not? And the only reason why I'm probably not wanting to release that belief is because if I release that belief, I'm gonna have to bring self-acceptance in. In this instance, I had to bring in self-acceptance into I'm not there yet. I'm not at the point where I have two Patreon tiers, this email list, this list. I'm not there yet in my business this is what I have the capacity for. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's like that humility and that like self-honesty and that self-forgiveness and compassion. So yeah. But does that make sense?
0: Definitely. That was a very beautiful, clear example, right? Of how this works. And it reminded me of something you've shared also with me is like, There's so much talk these days, right, about manifesting from thoughts and think positively and make a vision board and put sticky notes of affirmations all over, which, like, I'm not against those things. If you do those things and they make you feel good, make the vision board, cut out the magazine pictures. I've done that too. Maybe I'll do it soon. And in that same space, right, changing your thoughts alone is, in my opinion, right, a form of spiritual bypassing because. And what you've taught me is thoughts are a symptom of a dysregulated um, nervous system, or like mal- like lack thoughts, scarcity thoughts, fear thoughts, all of these, right? Like pressurized thoughts. It's not the thoughts that you have to change on the surface. Just like how with an eating disorder, it's not the f- food that you have to change on the surface. It's getting to the root, which is the nervous system. As we are humans, so I'd love for you to talk us through, like how you realize that for yourself because so much of the work that I know you do with clients is about rewiring the nervous system, um, which naturally by doing that will change your emotions and your thoughts.
1: Yes. I wholeheartedly am very passionate about this. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that I, did you ask how I became realized or how I, what was your question?
0: (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Um, I guess, right, yeah. How you realize this for yourself and I guess like how you work with clients through this. Okay,
1: okay. I realized this for myself because um, I – and I think this is also a common phenomenon. I got like an ounce of spirituality and it made such a difference in my life that I then thought spirituality was the solution to all of my problems. Mm -hmm. And in that ounce of spirituality that I was receiving, there were actually – some really powerful techniques that did help shift things for me on an emotional level. But at the beginning, I wasn't able to discern what was actually helping and what was just like superfluous in my opinion. So like mm-hmm. I'm doing all that. I'm feeling like I need to do this meditation every day. I need to do this mantra. I need to do this breath work. I need to do this journaling exercise. I need to eat a perfect Ayurvedic diet. And like I realized pretty soon That like the mantras, the yoga, the breath work, and the Ayurvedic diet did not shift any of my (laughs) emotional wounding in a lasting way. They might, they're a great part of maintaining a healthy lifestyle. They're a great part, a a great way to, in a moment, perhaps bring you into a more calm nervous system or Mm -hmm. release endorphins. But this like one emotion processing technique was like really shifting me mm-hmm. every single time. And so it was kind of trial and error because it even at that time in my journey, I wasn't exposed to anyone who was really saying, this is this is how you shift things on a deeper level. Like this is how you get to the root of the root of the root and change it. No one was really saying that. But I did realize that, thinking my way into a new reality was absolute BS. And I was just lucky enough, honestly, to my teacher, who I mentioned, Katie Silcox, she mm-hmm. was on to that. She she I, I was very lucky to bypass. I never really was exposed to a lot of like manifestation mm-hmm. or that type of like spirituality type thing because she was very interested in like psychology and the nervous system. So I was already getting that like priming. And so I was just really lucky to be starting to get that understanding through what I was learning from her. And then I read this book called The Presence Process, which was through my teacher. She had recommended it to us. And that book was a, I think it's sort of through a shamanic lens, but it Mm -hmm. really was the outline that started to then inform everything. It was sort of like if I could distill down everything I had been learning with the Ayurveda and yoga, it was like I realized that that book encapsulated the parts that interested me the most that were all these techniques to help shift things. And although it was a, mu- it is still a very spiritual and even in some ways bypassy way of achieving the results that I like to achieve in myself and with clients, it did lay the foundation that said, like zero to seven, everything he calls it, I think vibrational is a vibrational imprint so now you mm-hmm. know that's a nervous system um so that's kind of how I started and I just read this book and was like oh that's completely it and it fully changed things for me and it just viewed like my my trajectory of how the path that I sort of went down but um that's sort of how I started to realize more and more that nothing comes from our thoughts I mean and I think also just intuitively I knew that I never really fell prey to the whole like wishing and like visual yeah sure some visualizing but I never just I'm way too much of an intellectual person to honestly be down with a lot of that stuff from day one just because I I I just never really and so trauma and the nervous system that I get I understand so that's sort Mm -hmm. of how I started realizing it and then with myself, as I said earlier, I just realized there were these pressure points that when I hit them, it was like I was like draining this toxic goo out of myself and and able to move forward. And then my thoughts would change my thoughts
0: and beliefs. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. And something right that you've stressed so much is like, You don't have to do ayahuasca or take psilocybin to have a spiritual awakening or like get to these roots. It's actually a really organic process. Look at what triggers you. (laughs) Like if you want to heal something, you have to look at what triggers you and then feel the feeling and do that root work. And I highly encourage everyone to listen to Eden's podcast episodes because she goes in depth about how to do this work. Um, but yeah, I, you know, for me, like I am sober, right? And, and psychedelics are not part of my recovery, but there are moments where I'm like, am I missing something? Am I missing some huge spiritual awakening that I see other people who use these drugs have? And like talking to you has been so helpful, right? Because like I can actually have those awakenings every day in this really organic, natural way by just looking at what fucks me up <laughs> emotionally. And it's yeah. really that simple.
1: yeah. I completely agree and I think that a lot of spirituality, like I said, it's like there's a kernel of like an effective thing wrapped in like all of this extra stuff that doesn't need to make sense and like jargon and just like justification and I think what I strive to do is to boil down like what actually needs to happen and just empower people with that because… No other person, no teacher, not even a coach, a guru, a school, a methodology, truly, if you can just understand some pretty like basic in my opinion beliefs and mindset shifts and tools, there's nothing you cannot heal. There's nothing you can't can't transform, and you really do not need any complicated or superficial. Modalities—they're all great. Sure, meditation—that's great. That's going to heal your brain. Like, it's going to be amazing. Yoga nidra, great. It's going to restore your nervous system. Yoga, great. It's going to like work out your body. But as far as that actual deeper transformation, that's what I'm about.
0: Totally and right. I just wanted to like disclaim—I'm not against psychedelics for certain people or any of that. Right. Each person's on their own path, and whatever works for you, great. I think it's just like in my experience, for me um I need to look at what's really working for me and all of these practices are beautiful additions to like what you said living a healthy lifestyle but at the end of the day to really transform from the inside out it's like these practices of of doing that deep work which can look different also for different people but I really resonate with how you do it so (laughs) here we are yeah beautiful and so I know we're almost at time. I'd love to ask you a few rapid fire questions if you have a few more minutes. Perfect. Okay. So what is a lesson that you would share with your younger self that was in the most pain or the most confused? Ooh.
1: Ooh. Oh. (laughs) That... I mean, honestly, my younger self did not want to hear it. She did not want to hear yeah. it. So I feel like I would say to her, like, you're not alone. Because I think, and I know that's mm-hmm. not a lesson, but I think that that's what would ha- she needed to hear and that would have gotten mm-hmm. through to her. It would have just said, you're not alone. Like, you can't do this alone and you don't have to do this alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And I love that you mentioned, right. She wouldn't have listened maybe. And right. It's like our younger selves did the best, like best they could with the information they had the nervous systems that they had. Right. So yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Who is your greatest teacher or biggest inspiration today?
1: Ooh, like real people or like, what do you mean?
0: Yeah. It could be like a real person, like an author you're really into or, um, you know, a podcast speaker or a scientist, anyone who like these days has caught your attention and you're really into what they're doing.
1: So two, the one is G- Gabor Mate, who is a physician, but he literally, I, I don't know, my teacher who I mentioned throughout the episode was like, it would recommend his books to us. I just listened to his, po- one of his podcast interviews. So the first time I was like, this is exactly what I'm trying to say like he clearly Mm -hmm. I was like I've been absorbing these ideas through the ether which all ideas are like recycled but I was like oh this must be like how I've been coming up with this stuff but also this whole process too that we're talking about it's extremely intuitive it is extremely intuitive at least to me like so anyways but he talks all about the emotional needs and pain and perfectly articulated so wonderful and then my second one is someone who I just interviewed for my podcast her name is Jessie Huntenberg aka Mind Witch Mama and she is someone I she's one of my biggest like in-person expanders right now just absolutely brilliant mind so well able to articulate all of these concepts so creative and um just hugely expansive for me so and we just had our interview, so that's the other person. Check that that's out. A big inspiration to me right now. Yes, yeah.
0: Do you have a like supportive morning routine and evening routine that helps to like nurture your inner child and take care of yourself? That um, you would share. So I do
1: like my own kind of integration process every single morning. It's my number one priority every single day. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? So. What it looks like is journaling. First, I'll journal. I keep a list of main triggers that are presenting. um, But for the most part, I don't have to keep a list because I just know what they are. And then I will journal to the root of it using prompts that I have inside of my client resource hub that I share with all of my clients. And I also throw them out there on the podcast all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll get to the root and then I will do Sometimes I'll, like, have sort of that integrating moment during the journaling or other times I'll do, like, a visualization to kind of complete the, the healing and then mm-hmm. that's it. That's, like, what I do for that.
0: I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, what's your favorite, like, moment of the day if you have one?
1: I do have one and it's early afternoon. It's in my where my desk is in the other room early afternoon when it's like it's very minimal in that room. And like the light comes in and it's it's like the one or two p.m. when it's just like dead quiet is my favorite moment. It's completely silent. Like Derek's working or at home. I feel totally still all of this sunlight. I just feel like total peace. Like I love doing a little early afternoon meditation sometimes, too, for Mm -hmm.
0: me. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, Do you have a favorite quote? Ooh.
1: I I don't know if this is my favorite quote, but I would say it very much is the theme, which is like, feel it to heal it. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah.
0: That was my Instagram post yesterday. Feeling is healing.
1: Oh, amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It just really encapsulates this. It's like, to totally it to it. I wouldn't say it's my favorite quote but it definitely feels like the most relevant quote right now
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> totally um, coffee person or tea person oh,
1: I'm a coffee person in my heart I'm also a chai <laughs> person but I can't have coffee right now because of my eczema so <laughs> but I'm also a tea person I think I'm both because I drink tea all throughout the day I just like caffeine. there you go
0: yeah doesn't need to be black and white <laughs> exactly um okay what is something that you have never been asked in an interview that you wish you have been asked oh
1: honestly I'm loving these rapid fire questions I would love I love talking about food (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. I don't know I think you honestly asked like this was probably the best interview I've ever had like I loved every
0: question (laughs) I'm dead serious that is so heartwarming to me um okay I'm gonna ask you a food question what's your favorite food
1: (laughs) okay so my obsession right now is my sourdough Mm -hmm. um I love bread I love mac and cheese I love any form of cheese with carbohydrates together Um, Beautiful. So yeah, but I love food. I love eating. I
0: love (laughs) making sourdough bread. (laughs) You gotta check out Eden's Instagram. Yes, for the spiritual, emotional healing content, but also for the sourdough bread pics because they're pretty epic.
1: It's like my baby. Like I just, it's the same picture every time, but it feels worth sharing every time.
0: I always find a lot of joy in them personally. So (laughs) okay, good. (laughs) Beautiful. So. Where can people find you, connect with you?
1: So everything is Eden Garcia Thaler. My Instagram is Eden Garcia Thaler. Um, my, you can also just search transform plus integrate. My website is Eden Garcia Thaler and everything's, I'm sure I'll send Raina some links. And mm-hmm. then the big place I would say would be to check out the podcast because I go in deep on the podcast. I I don't know. I'm very proud of my podcast. I feel like every episode is like an experience or at least contains some shifts to help you integrate and heal.
0: So that's what I would check out. Thank you so much. Definitely check out Eden's podcast. I will always go on a long walk with my dog and listen to Eden's podcast. And that's my favorite moment of the day. (laughs) personally, because truly these are the like most transformative wisdom packed podcast episodes. I cannot recommend them enough. Like just listen to all of them. And I promise you, you will get something pretty miraculous out of them. And definitely yeah, follow Eden on Instagram. She's always posting such insightful, helpful content and connect with her. If she's taking clients right now, definitely try and become a client because she is truly just one of the most transformative people I know. So Eden, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much. You are amazing, of
0: course. I love you. Love you. so much for listening to this episode of Lotus Minded. I am beyond grateful to have you as a part of this beautiful community. It would mean the world to me if you could rate, review, and subscribe to Lotus Minded so that we can continue to share stories of strength, hope, and healing. Much love until next time.